Hi, this is David Shoemaker, and I'd like to welcome you to the third episode of Living Thelema. As you may know from listening to earlier segments, Living Thelema focuses on practical and experiential aspects of the mystical and magical path. And today we're going to focus on one of the most important of all of these aspects, and that is the knowledge and conversation of the Holy Guardian Angel. Now, as you probably have heard, the Holy Guardian Angel is Crowley's term for that uh, experience, that aspect of self, or an external entity that many other traditions have termed the higher self, the higher genius, innumerable other terms. But uh, Crowley talked about the Holy Guardian Angel in different ways depending on his audience and at different phases of his life. At some times he described the Holy Guardian Angel as if it was synonymous with the higher self uh, as an aspect of our own conscious or unconscious existence. And at other times he was quite definitively placing the HGA as an external entity of some sort. For example, his own experience with his holy guardian angel Iwas uh, was of such quality that during the dictation of the Book of the Law, he perceived this as, as an external voice dictating to him. The main point here is that this is one of the most difficult things in, in all of magical work to even attempt to discuss, and this was a little cosmic joke on me and others like me as we've attempted to develop lectures based on this subject matter. So please bear with me as I try to use inevitably inadequate language to, uh, to discuss these matters. Now, in the system of AA, from the very beginning, the path towards knowledge and conversation is of singular importance. And, and I think I can say without exaggeration that all of the tasks in the AA curriculum up to Adeptus Minor really are designed to be stepping stones toward knowledge and conversation. Um, it, it's easy to look at the curriculum of AA and see um, all of the instructions in magic and yoga, um, learning traditional magical form, ritual forms and things like that, and forget that the whole point is to develop an arsenal of tools that will all be used in the eventual working of the, the K&C. Now, you can see these tools come in several varieties. If you look at the curriculum of AA, you have magical ritual tools, you have meditational tools, you have the development and control of Kundalini, the gradual raising of the, that life force um, through various practices. Um, you have devotional tools. And so in a later segment, I may go into more detail about those different categories. But the important thing to know here is that all of these things really are uh, simply tools to be used to attain knowledge and conversation. And then when the knowledge of the true will is more conscious, uh, more deeply ingrained in our everyday living, um, when we choose to do a magical ritual, we can be assured that um, it is in line with our true will in a much more... Um, with much more certainty than we could have before knowledge and conversation. Now, unfortunately, sometimes that 
line of reasoning has caused people to forego some of the basic magical training uh, in ritual and, and other uh, things like that um, because they they believe that uh, you know they're not going to do it right if they haven't had knowledge and conversation they're not going to uh, be able to utilize any of these tools until they've they've had K and C and I think um, we have to remember that the only way we learn to do things is through experimentation and no one at the beginning of the path is going to have the insights into their tools and their methods their their uh, their will as they will later on so start where you are practice make mistakes learn from them and most of all forge ahead with with the grade tasks assigned to you now let's talk a little bit about the growing experience of the holy guardian angel as it tends to manifest in the lives of aspirants um, one of the things which i think is is one of the most common misconceptions about the way this typically occurs in people is that there is no knowledge of the hga there is no conscious um, connection and then one gets to the adeptus minor grade and in a single flash of light all of a sudden it's there and for most people that's not the way it goes generally there's a gradual a gradually increasing intimacy of communication and understanding that begins far far earlier on the path than at the level of Adeptus Minor of AA. Uh, we feel the impulses, the subtle urgings of the angel in dreams, in intuitive flashes, in synchronicities that we tune into in our lives, in those moments where we seem to be receiving impulses from a deep level of conscience, a deep sense of something that is right for us. Those are glimmers of the angel. Also, our strivings for beauty in life, our drive to be enraptured in, in the things and the people we love in life, all of these are glimmers of the angel. So there is communication, definitely. It just tends to come through our own unconscious and in the language of symbol. The Ruach, the conscious mind, perceives these messages from the HGA through the vessel of the Nefesh. Uh, our experience of this is such that um, we may not sense a conscious communication at all uh, for quite some time, um, but we gradually improve our ability to speak in the language of symbol, hence the requirement to do all the memorization of the various correspondences and such that uh, that become a symbolic language for us to use, um, the language that is native to the angel. Um, and then eventually we begin to uh, receive these communications in a much more direct and conscious manner. Um, for example, in the system of AA, the, uh, the vision of the Holy Guardian Angel is the vision attributed to Malkuth, the, which is the 
Sephira of the neophyte grade, of course. And it is often in the neophyte grade that aspirants begin to have more of these conscious communications, um, not atypically the reception of the name of the angel. Um, So it's a courtship, a gradually increasing and intensifying intimacy, a gradual improving of our ability to perceive the language of the angel in our lives until finally at uh, Tefereth, at the, the Deptus Minor grade, the breakthrough of Briatic consciousness into our previously um, mostly locked into Yetzira minds um, completes a conscious link. And then the defining characteristic of the adept is that the adept can communicate with the angel consciously and at will. Now, what's this process like? Um, For many people, this description fits pretty well, that it's a process of being able to differentiate the one voice of the angel from all the other voices that speak to us in various ways in our lives. In many ways, it's like a radio receiver. Our, Our conscious mind is like the radio and we turn the dial trying to find that one station we're looking for. And in the pre-adept stage of the work, uh, we're sweeping the dial. We're going all around looking for that station. And occasionally we'll move past it and get a little snippet of a voice. Um, but then we have trouble finding the station again. So the overall process is, is very much akin to this. I think you're, you're searching for, the ability to really tune into that station and keep it there. Another metaphor that works pretty well uh, for me is that, um, you know, on the tree of life, you have uh, Tefereth, the sphere of Tefereth as the, the place at the Adeptus minor grade of AA, where the conscious communion with the angel is, is consummated. And um, if Tefereth is the head of the King and Kether is the crown, and the path of Gimel is the method of transmission of the the light of the angel and, uh, and of the true will, then the great work is a lot about just getting your head in the right place, meaning to Fareth, for the crown to be placed on your head. In other words, it's less about going somewhere looking for the angel and more about getting yourself in the right place to perceive the angel, which is there waiting for you to get your head in the right place. Um, This is a bit of what Crowley's getting at when he says uh, that beautiful line about um, to await thee was the end and not the beginning. Now, many find that the process of moving towards eventual knowledge and conversation is very much like successive layers of instruction in the methods of properly invoking the angel. You'll find very likely that everything you are, everything you have been, everything you have loved, all of these things are going to be utilized in your own path. They're going to be the exact tools you need 
for the invocation of your particular HGA. And as you move across the grades of the AA below Teferith, you'll find that you pick up, um, as I say, successive layers of, of instruction in how to hone and, and more finely tune your ability to, to embark on the final invocation process. Now, there are a lot of tools in the AA curriculum, a lot to learn, a lot to experiment with, some of which will fit you well and some will be completely alien to you, but you should experiment with it anyway and and strengthen those parts of you that might not uh, be uh, as much of a natural inclination for you. There will inevitably be dry spells. Uh, this is part of the work, and navigating those is part of the method of strengthening ourselves that eventually enables enables us to complete the work. So don't fear those times. Work with them. And I have found that the single most important injunction in, in all of our work, I, I think I can say this without exaggeration, in that pre-adept phase is invoke often, inflame thyself in prayer. If you do this, the response from the core of yourself will inevitably lead you in the right direction. And that's especially true in those so-called dark nights when we feel like we've hit a dry spell. I received a letter that asked some really pertinent questions about the development of the relationship with the HGA over the course of, of the work. And I wanted to read that letter to you and um, give you a, a response as I responded to the person who wrote it. He says, I just listened to your latest segment on living Thelema regarding the lesser ritual of the pentagram. It was very interesting, and in fact it addressed some things I went through early on and noted in my journal. When I first started the probationer material for the AA, I struggled with whether to use Crowley's Iwas or the name of my HGA that I felt I knew. What happened to me, though, was I began to doubt if I had ever really gotten in contact with my HGA at all, and if the name I had was really its name, or if it was my ego messing with me. First, I used the name of my own HGA, as I thought I had been given. Then I used both, Iwas during the opening Kabbalistic Cross and my personal HGA at the closing Kabbalistic Cross, but then later I only used Iwas, so I stayed with Iwas during the ritual. But it brings up the issue of self-doubt. In this case, I don't feel entirely right that I stopped using the name I thought was my HGA. While doubt can be good to temper a person from going off into crazy ideas, what do you think is a good and safe measure of a person's intuition, such as believing they received a ritual from their HGA or a name, etc., versus staying grounded and not chasing ego manifestations? In this case, with me, I began to doubt how I could have made contact with the HGA and received its name when I hadn't even started, at that time, any work with the AA. In the space of a few months, I stopped all rituals I had believed influenced by the AA, by the HGA, and stopped using the name I thought was given in ritual. While no one can say, oh, that was the right name, why did you stop using his name? As I guess no one would know that but me, my question is more about how to make good decisions on something so individualized. So that's the end of, of the letter. What, what I want to comment on is, um, as an extension of what I said earlier, and this is the advice I gave this person, that um, as long as we are 
forging ahead with the grade tasks, as long as we are inflaming ourselves in prayer, invoking often, as long as we are devoting ourselves to push ahead with the, the path towards knowledge and conversation, we're going to get these successive layers of instruction. We're going to get a name here or a uh, an impulse to pursue a line of work or a, a ritual format there. And we may find that later on we get additional instruction that supersedes or completely supplants what was given to us before. Um, that's the nature of this work. As we refine our tools of reception, as we get better at tuning that radio dial and finding that one voice, it's a natural process that we will cast aside some of the things we've been given earlier. But don't let your self-doubt interfere with your certainty that if you persist, you will refine your own tools to hear the voice of the angel clearly in exactly the right way at exactly the right time, as I think this is inevitable if you follow the, the path as instructed. Now, we've all heard a good bit of what Crowley has to say about the HGA, and now you have some of my thoughts on that as well. But what I'd like to do next is read to you from something Sora Merrill, Phyllis Seckler, wrote about her own HGA experience, which uh, occurred in 1952. This is from uh, some writing late in her life, around 1999. The first stirrings of the angelic voice may come to us through intuition. If a person isn't open to relying on this deep intuition, it may not be evident that the HGA can speak through the same voice. It is entirely possible to turn one's back on such whisperings and inspirations, especially when one's concerns are mostly materialistic, emotional, or intellectual. But the HGA's lessons persist. If one becomes upset, unhappy, or miserable due to some behavior, it is certainly the HGA dealing out tough love so that one will make changes. All of this I have observed in myself and when trying to understand others. It provides preamble as I try to write of my own experiences with the HGA. It was July 1st, 1952, when my first acquaintance with the HGA occurred. I was raising my three children alone. Once they were in school, I was also in college, training to become an art teacher. I also had been typing Crowley manuscripts for Carl Germer so they would not become lost. I was awakened by a light up my spine. I could vaguely understand that instructions had been given to me for some time before my awakening. What I could remember of this was the name of the HGA and his instructions to enumerate this name with the aid of the Hebrew alphabet. Understanding this name took quite a few years, but the voice never really left me after this incident. There have been many occasions when I had help from the voice when it was obviously needed. One goes on living a normal life, working and doing all the things to support oneself and one's children. The voice of the HGA is not needed in everyday circumstances, but one must go on refining oneself and one's reactions. One must study and learn about magical and mystical processes. The God will not indwell a vehicle poorly prepared, as the ultimate advice states. When major lessons or ordeals were needed, they were supplied in order to continue this growth and refinement. Prior to this first awakening, I had been writing poetry inspired by various sorts of love that shadowed forth the major direction of my soul. Carl Germer thought that the K&C of the HGA happened in my case because I had pure aspiration. 
The event of the night, which I only too plainly described above, left me with such awe that I could scarcely speak of it without an inner trembling. It was six months before I could even write of it to Carl, yet he knew from the tenor of my letters that this event surely must have happened. Now, having read that from Sora Merrill, I thought it would be fun and interesting to read you the letter that Carl Germer sent in response to some of the letters Phyllis was writing to him around this time, including one written to him on the day of her HGA experience, although going into a lot less detail than what I just read to you. Um, in a letter dated July 7th, 1952, he wrote to Phyllis, Dear child, your questions go to the bottom of one of the deepest problems that has puzzled and tortured all initiated men and women from time immemorial. As you could find out from reading the records of the saints, men or women, the great men of genius, and so forth. I suppose it is the conflict with being human with the body of flesh, and the fact that you have risen to or above to Fareth, where the voice of the secret guide is gradually taking over and begins to speak to your soul. The twentieth aether, I think it is, initiates this phase. I am a very poor teacher along these lines. I had this experience in 1927. But I am so dull and dumb. Have you seen my horoscope? If not, I'll send you the main data. With so much earth weighing it down, that I paid no attention to the guide and its voice until, let me say, 1947 or 1948. This may sound unbelievable to you, but then my case may be different. My connection with A.C., the man, was so close and intimate that I all the time thought that the impulses came from the man A.C., and thinking so, I obstructed. The moment the man died, the interpretation changed. Do not follow me. Obstruction to the impulses and the voice has become second nature to me through so many years, and I may have suffered for this obstruction badly, very badly, and made my life miserable without need. Learn to follow the voice instantly, without questioning unduly. Did I quote that old saying of mystics, Perinde ac cadaver? If not, I repeat it and explain. The idea is that once one has heard the voice of the HGA, one must learn to follow instantly, even to the perishing of the cadaver, which is the mere body, and the rational mind which reasons against it. I believe this is the hardest lesson to learn. I shall be happy if I can make one human's life happier for teaching a lesson, which I have too much failed to learn. As you progress in the typing of Libra 418, you will discover that the HGA grows ever more and more. In other words, the path is unending. Your views and your understanding at this moment will not be the same as years hence. Do not think for one moment that A.C.'s conceptions about this problem were the same when he was fifty as at seventy. Strive ever to more, and if thou art truly mine, etc. All you can do is to remain in the intimacy of your HGA, train your finer senses and your soul to receive ever finer and subtler impulses. Sometimes they appear or may appear atrocious as you grow. Never mind. Your HGA looks farther ahead than mortal can. The only danger is that there are other beings in this invisible universe who are sent to test or thwart your true path. That is where constant and flaming yourself in prayer is so important by the method that your HGA will indicate you. Yes, one is alone in this task, it seems, as long as one does not fully realize the intimacy with one's constant companion. See Libra 65, Chapter 1. There was a maiden, and therein she forgot her sighing and her loneliness. 
That particular verse, in that form, may apply to a special case, but it is universal in the general way. Now, I hope you enjoyed some of these readings. I think it's instructive to look back over what many of the luminaries of Thelema post-Crowley have written about the HGA and related experiences, and I may read more of this sort of thing in future segments. But this brings this segment on the HGA to a close. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or other feedback, I encourage you to send me emails at the email address um, that you can find on the podcast blog, and you can always retrieve that email through my website at livingthelema.com. So I hope this has been entertaining and useful to you, and I look forward to talking to you next time.